A lot of these things we do to try to biohack people and do things, we're just trying to replicate what these things that people have done for thousands of years have been doing. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Aaron Hartman, who's going to share all about a topic I've been waiting to discuss, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about long COVID. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Aaron Hartman. His journey with functional medicine started when he and his wife adopted their first daughter from foster care. She has cerebral palsy and countless dietary issues. They went from specialist to specialist, and even as a physician, he felt let down and confused. His daughter's health struggles forced him to confront an uncomfortable realization that our current healthcare system did not have all the answers. His wife, however, refused to give up hope. She ultimately pointed him to functional medicine, and his daughter and two other kids began to thrive. After years in family practice, he felt called to make a dramatic shift. Dr. Hartman currently holds the following positions, Principal Investigator and Medical Director of Virginia Research Center, President Family Practice Associates, Assistant Clinical Professor of Family Medicine at the VCU School of Medicine, and Founder of Richmond Functional Medicine. His fields of clinical expertise include CIRS, which we're going to talk about today, post-Lyme syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, and long COVID. He now helps patients identify leverage points and key areas of their lifestyle and health that harness their body's remarkable power to heal and begin living the vibrant life they deserve. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hartman. It's great to be here. I'm just really excited to share with you and share with your community and just um, learn together and grow together. And I'm just really excited to be here. (laughs) Happy to have you. In chapter eight of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I'm comparing the home, the roof specifically of the home, to the immune system for the body. And this is where I mention invaders like viruses, bacteria, and mold toxins, which can, some of which can cause something called SIRS, I don't know how you say that, or chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And so as I alluded to in reading your bio, you made a big shift in your career. And so I want you to kind of expand on why and how you made that shift and then how you became an expert in this SIRS or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which we're going to talk about today. So tell us about your big career shift and how you became an expert in however we pronounce it, SIRS. I mean, my, my shift was ba- mainly driven by my, my family, probably my, my daughter. She actually was a patient of my wife. My wife's a pediatric occupational therapist whose oh. niche was kids with special needs. And so um, yeah. my wife started taking my daughter on her caseload when she got out of the hospital. And so about a year into it, her, her foster home was closing down. And my wife was like, hey, do you want to bring this little girl in our, our house? You know, maybe adopt her, maybe. And I was wow. thinking, being a guy, I'm like, you know, <laughs> we can always give her back. Sure, why not? We got nothing else going on, right? So um, we brought her in her house. I fell in love with her. And we eventually adopted her. And in the whole process, one of the things with the specialist was she's small for her age. She needs to get bigger. And so how do you do that with kids with special needs? You put a feeding tube in them, mm. put a hole in their stomach, and you see you can pour infant formula down their stomach to make them get bigger. My wife and I discussed, and our, our goals were always greater for her. My, my wife said, yes. I, I see something in there. I know she doesn't talk. She's not supposed to walk. She's not supposed to crawl. I see a person in there. And so I just was naive enough to believe that my daughter would grow up to be normal someday. And so feeding tubes mean no crawling, it affects speech development. Sure. So we, we opted out of that. And six months later, my wife found a growth chart for kids with CP. And my daughter was right in the middle. How did the specialist whose field of expertise is kids with special needs not know about this growth chart? And that was like the first time my eyes were opened up to the idea that experts aren't necessarily experts. You kind of have to like find your expert. Sure, use your specialist, whoever your, your team is, but they consult you. They ultimately don't mandate care. And that was just the first time my eyes were opened up to the idea that experts might be wrong. And so I just started researching things with my daughter, you know, researching gene stuff, um, a whole host of things. Yeah. As time went on, my eyes were opened up to the environment and how environmental toxins she was she was exposed to um, drugs in utero, which is one of the reasons why she um, was born with cerebral palsy. But just learned about how environmental toxins affect health, and it's just a natural progress. You know, first food, you know, cleaning your food up, dealing with genetics. You know, as as I learned things, uh, dealing with environmental toxins, stop using Roundup, all that kind of stuff. And the natural progression was to the environment. You know, it's interesting. Um, the head of the Harvard School of Public Health has made a statement that humans are evolving into an indoor species. 
you know, we spent almost all of our time indoors and the indoor air quality is a big, big deal. The EPA has a massive statement about indoor air quality and how negative it is. Isn't it like worse? It's worse than the air quality outside. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And so and it, that's what just kind of naturally led me as I learned new things and applied them. And I learned about all these different aspects of health, the environment, and ultimately where you live, your home or workspace became a big, big issue. And so as a, you know, a physician and inquisitive person, ultimately being driven, I have this little girl who yeah. like, it's interesting, like, I know that I've got a certain amount of time to help her health. And I've got a certain window of opportunity. It's amazing how how motivating that is to get up at four and five in the morning and studying research and to get new certifications and new whatever. And yeah. so it just led down a pathway and accelerated. You know, a lot of people do this and take some 10 or 20 years. You know, I didn't have that much time with my daughter. So it, it forced me to be a quick study and a quick learn and ultimately led me down to chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which, you know, half of all buildings in the country have water damage. Mm-hmm. You know, every school where I'm at has some huh. form of indoor air quality issue. Yep. And 23% of the population has the gene that sets them up for CIRS or SIRS, right? So all of a sudden now it's like, once you realize that, that data, you start saying, wait, there should be a lot of people out there with this problem. If half the buildings in the country have water damage, if 23% of the population has the gene and you start looking for it and you start knowing what to look for, all of a sudden it's like you see it everywhere. And that's kind of what's led me down this pathway to study under Dr. Shoemaker and Dr. Heyman at you know A4M and then basically to branch out and study under a bunch of other people in addition to my standard functional medicine training and um, integrated holistic training, which I've done all that as well. It's every time you learn something new, there's a new door opens up and you have a new thing to learn, which is exciting, but also challenging, you know? So can you define what chronic inflammatory response syndrome is? This might be the first time that our listeners are hearing a bit about this. So what is it? I mean, it's chronic, it's ongoing, which means it's been going on for six months or more. It's inflammatory. Now, it's interesting when you think about inflammation, most people think about, you know, autoimmune diseases or elevated white counts. This inflammatory part of chronic inflammatory response is part of your innate immune system. So it involves things like your innate cells, dendritic cells, natural killer cells, cytokines. So it's a different kind of inflammation that the standard lab testing doesn't pick up unless you know what to look for. Um, response, you're responding to something. What are you responding to? Well, 80% of chronic inflammatory response syndrome is water-damaged buildings, but there's also a type version related to Lyme disease. There's a post-concussive part of chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Your breast implants, there's actually vaccinosis, yeah. according to Dr. Schoenfeld's work. He calls it Asia syndrome, which is autoimmune inflammatory syndrome induced by juvens. It's very, very similar. Um, so it's inflammatory, it's a response to something. And for our sake here, we're going to probably focus mainly on the mold, but there's a whole host of other things that can cause it. And it's a sure. syndrome. And a syndrome means you have a listing of symptoms for research purposes, typically, that once you get the checkboxes, in the case of CRS, it's about 99.5% accurate in diagnosing. That's called the cluster analysis. We have 13 classes of clusters. And if you meet a symptom and you know so many of those clusters, then you have a 95% chance, 99% chance of having this syndrome. It's chronic, it's inflammatory, different kind of inflammatory response to you know these things. It's a sure. syndrome. So what, I know you can't list all the symptoms. What are some of the most common presenting symptoms you see in patients that kind of then kind of alert you that, oh, we need to be looking for, for CIRS in this patient? Well, if I say these syndrome, these symptoms, that's going to start sounding very familiar to a lot of people. You'll see brain fog. You'll see problems thinking, um, lack of concentration, easy distractibility. You'll see weird pain, migrating pain around the body, weird, just aching pain, weird symptoms, tingling, burning, sometimes internal vibrations, some kind of weird yeah. stuff. You'll see mood lability, mood swings. Okay. So there's a whole host of things. A lot of times people will have gut issues, particularly diarrhea, for example. So that those are kind of the major high ones. And then there's secondary epiphenomena, we call them, which are secondary phenomena that are not primary. So you'll see antibodies like positive celiac antibodies, positive lupus anticoagulant antibodies within that with lab testing. But the main thing I think that brings a lot of people to me is the fatigue is like the brain fog, which includes fatigue, um, loss of energy, poor sleep quality, non-restorative sleep, which sounds very much like chronic fatigue, right? Fibromyalgia. And actually there's a big subset of chronic fatigue and fibro that actually are CIRS. And it's really cool to find those people and diagnose their CIRS and now the fatigue and brain fog gets better because you're dealing with the root cause, not just the symptoms. That's like, there's a lot of, you know, there's 30, I think 37 different symptoms in the cluster. But again, there's, there's hundreds of different symptoms, but those are the major ones people deal with. And the thing that brings people to me most often are are like all the brain, mental, cognitive kind of things. Yep. 
So you kind of already alluded to this, but what other diseases fall under the title of CIRS? So you mentioned mast cell activation syndrome, and I had a wonderful guest, Beth O'Hara, who talked a lot about mast cell last year. Let's talk a little bit about that and the overlap, or I guess if you would call it the SERS umbrella, kind of what falls underneath there? Okay, so 80% of it is water damage building. Okay. And within water damage building, it's actually mostly not mold. Okay, it's actually endomyces, like and endotoxin. So that's where we have the crawl space in the beautiful house that has a CRS patient because it's the endotoxins and the tenomyces from that crop, right? And that's another conversation for, you know, um, but anyway, 80% is a water damage building. Then you've got a post-Lyme, you've got a concussion syndrome, you have fisteria. Actually, fisteria and like the blue-green algae was actually how Dr. Um, Shoemaker first Shoemaker, discovered yeah. this with watermen up in, up in Maryland. It was actually fishermen who were being exposed to this basically overgrowth, these blooms related to runoff of um, pesticides and um, agricultural chemicals into the um, Chesapeake Bay area. So you've got green out, blue-green algae. But then there's like, there's a post, actually, there's actually like, like an exertional CRS where people overexert themselves. They overexercise, they overtrain, an overtraining one, and they get a lot of muscle breakdown. Over time, that causes low-grade inflammation that eventually can trigger a CRS phenomenon. There's post-concussive. People can get a concussion and getting a concussion, also, you get leaky brain and leaky gut. You get endotoxins. Wait a second. Did he say endotoxins again? Yes. Actually, <laughs> the bacteria in your gut. And you get a massive load through concussion-induced leaky gut. That can lead to a TBI or um, concussion-induced CIRS, where it gets a little controversial, because this is where I kind of combine different experts' opinions. If I look at some of Dr. Schoenfeld's work with the Asia syndrome, which is an all-immune inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants, it's like 80% similar to CIRS except he focuses on things that activate in your immune system, like the juvents and vaccines. So whether it's um, a petroleum distillate, Froon's adjuvant, or aluminum, or other metals. He also mentions silicone as an adjuvant and mainly in impl- implants. Right, and right. so I think personally, based on research, that a lot of implant disease is actually a different version of CIRS. And that's yep. going to be controversial, by the way. It's interesting when you look at the experts with implants, they're doing the exact same labs, right? C4A, C3A, TGF, beta. The symptom cluster is almost the exact same. And that's where the more and more I learn about stuff, I'm getting a bigger, bigger, bigger umbrella. And a lot of people with a lot of symptoms of CRS also have a lot of the POTS dysautonomia symptoms, right? Rapid heart rate, you know, yep. dysautonomia. And you start talking to patients, a large part of them are hypermobile. What do you say hypermobile? One in 30 Americans is hypermobile and hypermobility increases your risk for elevated TGF beta, which if you know your labs for SIRS, TGF beta is one of the secondary lab markers. And if you're hypermobile, you're more prone to have that TH17 imbalance. All of a sudden now the CRS thing, which people are thinking is a narrow, rare thing is like a very, very, very big umbrella. I feel like every month or two, I'm learning more information about this umbrella is getting bigger and bigger. And the cool thing is, is that as I learn this, I'm now able to apply it to patients like long COVID patients, people that have been healthy, got COVID now are sick three months out. I'm actually learning how to apply some of these principles to help them get better as well. And I want to come back to that. I want to come back to that. But I want to echo what you said about breast implant illness, because I don't know, maybe five years ago, I had my first patient who came to me thinking like, I have breast implant illness. How can you help me? And she had brain fog and fatigue, a lot lot of the symptoms you're referring to. And the only labs I knew to order were, okay, let's check a C3A, C4A and TGF beta one and TGF beta one was high. And right years later, post-explant, a lot of healing and recovery, her TGF beta one is now normal. So it is very interesting. If you're listening and you think you could have breast implant illness, I think some of the labs that we're gonna about to talk about could very much apply to you. So so let's go to the labs. So how is SIRS diagnosed? What labs do you order? And then how can this affect treatment? Well, first you have to have the symptoms, right? It's by definition, it's a multi-system, multi-symptom disease. So multiple different bites. Systems, systems. Yep. multiple different systems and multiple different symptoms. Okay. Yep. Tongue twister, right? And so you first, and, and I did a big blog actually series on my website that actually talk, actually walks people through how to, to diagnose this actually. So if they want more information, they can look at that on my website. But you go yeah. to this, the system, the symptoms, and if you meet the criteria, then that you have about a um, 95% likelihood of having CRS. Then you do the labs. And there's a gene lab, an HLA DRDQ, yep. which is a gene risk for getting this. Now, the gene risk doesn't mean you'll get it. You know, 23% of the population has the gene, but not 23% of the population has this. The gene represents actually your body's ability to detoxify. A lot of people don't realize your immune system actually uses antibodies to tag toxins for your body to remove them. 
And so it's not just liver health and gut health and sweating. It's also your immune system as an active participant in detoxification. And if you have these genes, your body has a little bit of difficulty making antibodies to these toxins you get exposed to. So it, it can build up over time. So that's yep. the one, one lap. So this is a gene. And unfortunately, I, I have this. I've admitted that on another podcast. But these, these specific genes are not something you're going to see on a 23andMe test. Like my patients will bring me in their genome and say, hey, you know, can you can you tell me if I have such and such a gene? And unfortunately, no. So this is a different panel that an experienced practitioner would need to order on you to kind of see if you have that HLA yeah, typing, just FYI. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah only only LabCorp does it. And when you get the results back, you have to put it through this thing. This calculator, to interpret. And most people don't even know how to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You have to see someone knows what they're doing. <laughs> It's yep. basically the basic gist. So. But then there's also labs, just six different major groupings of labs. The next group is you look at, you look at brain function through your hypothalamus and your pituitary. So you do an ADH, an osmolality, which is basically your brain's way of controlling sodium and water concentration. There's an ACTH in cortisol. You know, a lot of people have adrenal fatigue, which actually is not a real thing. It's HPA axis dysregulation. They'll have an abnormality in their ACTH and cortisol. You know, how many people with, you know, so-called adrenal fatigue, it's not a version of, CIRS, right? You look at C4A, which is a, as a part of your innate immune system. Again, we talked about this being an innate immune system issue. Yep. It's a part of your body's most primitive immune system that actually is pre-programmed to react against external threats. So it doesn't even require antibodies. It doesn't require B cells or T cells. By itself, it can recognize things, make these little attack complexes called MAC complexes and make cells spontaneously explode. If that gets overactivated like it does in CRS, you can have this overactivation of their immune system. MMP9, telematrix protein, is a tissue inflammatory marker that that's elevated in these patients, can be elevated, not always in these patients. And then there's a whole host of secondary labs, TGF-beta, you can do a C3A, yep. which you tend to see in patients with chronic infections like Lyme, antibody testing, a whole host of other secondary tests. But the main six tests are the ones you mainly look at, like yep. the diagnosis. You will do the secondary tests if you're trying to like Fared out, auto, you know, autoimmune spectrum issues, and sometimes I'll do like an infection panel on patients. Tons of things lining up, and just it's more of a reflection of their innate immune system's inability to keep things suppressed. And then there's a VCS. I'm sorry, I didn't mention the VCS test, which is a super awesome test, visual contrast sensitivity test. It actually is a test that looks at blood flow to the back of your eyeball. The Air Force actually used this test, you know, decades ago to determine if people on flight lines were getting exposed to too much jet fuels. The jet fuels actually were causing neurological issues and for some seizures. And so they want to figure out how can we figure out if someone's blood flow to the brain is being negatively impacted and they figure out this VCS test. And if you fail that, that can be a lot of different things. It can be other toxins and chemicals, but sure. if someone has mold and you're detoxifying them and then you do a Marcon's test, you want to basically keep them on treatment for that until their VCS normalizes and they clear the Marcon's. And the last one, it's not a part of, it's not a diagnostic test, but it's a hugely, hugely important test is the Marcon's test. It's a bacteria, um, a multi-drug resistant staph that actually creates these chemicals called hemolysins. And they break down MSH, which makes melatonin. MSH is one of these master regulatory peptides in your brain that helps regulate sleep-wake cycles, pain regulation. It helps with gut health. Leaky, if you have leaky gut, you tend to have MSH issues because it helps repair leaky gut. So all of a sudden now, and that was the one other lab I didn't mention in the, in the diagnostic ones, MSH, sorry about that. That's kind of like the introductory stuff that you want to yeah. do, like basic labs, BCS, Marcons, but then their environment, you know, you could have had a past exposure five, six, seven, eight years ago. And it might not be a current exposure. And that's where for my patients, I want to figure out, is the place you're living safe now? It could have yeah. been the last place you live, lived two years ago. It could have been your, actually one patient who lived in a moldy environment for years and years. And his CRS started after a tick bite. He got a tick bite, got Lyme, developed Hashimoto's thyroiditis, yep. and saw a bunch of thyroid experts, and no one could get him better because they didn't want to address his CRS. And the, and the trigger was this tick bite from the place he lived, you know, almost 10 years before that, right? Yep. And so sometimes it gets a little tricky when you look at the environment to figure out if it's a just a past or a past and a present. But one of the, one of the key things I want to focus on when I see the patient is, is the place you're living now, is the place you're working now, yep. going to school now? Is it a safe place? Yeah, let's talk about that because I run all those labs in my patients, and I think one of the most difficult things for me is determining if they have acute exposure or if we're looking at as a result of exposure from five years ago. If they know, oh, I was in a really moldy apartment in college or or, or whatnot, kind of difficult to determine. I do I use the blood testing that you're you're recommending. I also use urine mycotoxin testing. Do you also use that or no? I don't use urine mycotoxin testing. Um, based on some of the research from Dr. Heyman and Shoemaker, the urine mycotoxin testing represents 
more foods you eat, molded foods. And so that's one of the things when you'll see people who ate like corn, for example, they'll have tons of fuminescins or other microtoxins from the, and corn is crazy moldy. A lot of grains are moldy. And so it, it represents more, it doesn't also represent your immune reaction. You might you know, live in a moldy building. You know, I've got the genes, okay, yeah. that you're mentioning. I'm, I've got yeah. the genes. I have Marcon's. But all my testing is negative. I don't have CIRS because my innate immune system has not been activated. Sure. So you might have an exposure and have, have the mycotoxins in your urine, and it might not mean you have CIRS. And that's where the urine testing, the other thing about the urine testing, from my understanding of it, that's a little tricky, is you might be a poor detoxifier. Then you have to do chlorella and asana and other stuff to, to basically do some kind of like jogging to get things out. Or you might be an amazing detoxifier and you have tons of microtoxins coming out and it's because you're doing such a great job detoxifying. And so yeah. that's, I think that's where, um, and this is, this, the, the urine testing is a little controversial in the um, CRS world. And there's different labs do it different, do the chromatography different. So there's a difference between the real-time labs, the way they do it versus- um, Great Plains. Great Plains, yeah. Great Plains, yeah. They don't, they don't do the testing quite the same. So there's a little, little indiscrepancy between there. But um, yeah, I started doing a lot of urine microtoxin testing and I got into it and just, it wasn't super helpful for me to figure out how sick a person was or wasn't. And you couldn't really track them, like, were you getting better or not? And then as I did my, my training with Dr. Shoemaker and, and Heyman, the literature, the way they described it and the research I was looking at, it doesn't really tell me if their immune system is that whole chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So I've just kind of don't really do a lot. I, I use the money more for doing the expensive C4A that has to go to Jewish nationals and all that kind of jazz, you know. Between the fumes from car exhaust, industrial emissions, and as many of us have experienced recently, smoke from forest fires, the air we breathe is often filled with harmful pollutants. But did you know that the EPA has shown that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? This is why at my clinic and at my home, I use Air Doctor air filters. These filters are 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers and help capture smoke, viruses, bacteria, pollen, mold, and dust mites. In fact, they capture 100% of some of the most dangerous ultrafine particles as small as 0.003 microns in size, and that's pretty small. They have a proprietary dual-action carbon gas trap VOC filter, which combines two types of media, activated carbon to remove gas and odors and potassium permanganate to deactivate certain volatile organic compounds, VOCs, like formaldehyde. Air Doctor's auto mode uses a professional grade air quality sensor to assess the air in the room and immediately adjust to correct levels of air filtration. The sensor will also alert you when your air quality is compromised by changing its indicator lights from green to yellow or red. I discovered this feature almost immediately after installing my Air Doctor at home when the indicator light went from green to red. It got me wondering why the air was so bad and I did some digging. It turned out there was a problem with my furnace. After it was fixed, the Air Doctor sensor immediately turned back to green. Had I not discovered the issue with the help of the Air Doctor, we could have ended up with much greater problems. I often recommend the Air Doctor to my patients dealing with mold toxicity. Of course, I always recommend they remove themselves from the mold exposure as soon as possible, but I understand it takes time to remediate the home. So in the meantime, as well as on an ongoing basis, I recommend they get Air Doctors running in their homes. One of these machines would be a great Christmas gift for a loved one. Stop by the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic if you'd like to see different sizes or visit the bonus tab of my website, yourlongevityblueprint.com to find a special link for $280 off the 83,000 using code GRAY15. That's capital G-R-A-Y 15. And watch for even greater promotions during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But you must use my link, which we'll post in the show notes. That makes me want to come back to labs again. But for the listeners, because they know I do use urine mycotoxin testing, I think there is clinical utility. I do both. And I think you have to find a provider who knows what they're doing that you click with, right, <laughs> who is able to help you. So I think there are different trains of thought for sure on this topic. And I think, but I think there's utility in both in blood testing and, and urine mycotoxin testing. I do have a question though. So what I have found, I would say the limitations of blood testing for me are when patients are on steroids. So I have patients who may come to me on 30 milligrams of prednisone, and I feel like that that's going to skew their some of their blood tests. How do you approach that? Do you still run the labs? Do you not? <laughs> I still run the labs. You know, yeah. I, I, I see the exact same thing. I'm not sure if you're seeing what I'm seeing where their adrenal issues are being treated with steroids. And it's like, it takes me a year to like wean them off of it, you know, or they're being treated symptomatically because they're thyroid. And so they're getting tons of thyroid hormone put on board. And they come to me just totally crashed out because they're, Adrenals are a mess. 
and they're on tons of thyroid and no one's addressing their CRS. Everything so, else. Yeah. You know, that's difficult. You know, um, you know, I know what I know and I don't, and I, but I just don't know what I don't know. And my, <laughs> my response to that is like, you know, I just kind of stick with the, you know, the symptoms, you know, the good news is the symptoms account for the 95% diagnosis, right? And the labs are kind of helping guide some of your stuff. I still do the labs. The reality is, is most of the patients that I have, you know, um, well, I shouldn't say most, almost all of them that meet symptom criteria are going to meet the lab criteria. Sure. Um, about 80% about of them fail their BCS. And my, my, my dad in my, cl- my, in my clinic is roughly equivalent to what Dr. Shoemaker-Salt has seen in his research. I think he's got over 8,000 patients at this stage. Um, but, you know, about 80% of people will be positive for Marcon's. So I haven't really had a hard time quantifying how treat them. It gets a little tricky when you get positive Lyme testing back. And the question is, do they have chronic Lyme or is it their innate immune system's messed up and they can't clear the Lyme? And so you have to treat that before you can even address yep. the Lyme. Ultimately, you, know, you have to individualize this for a patient. It's not just, absolutely. it's not, yep. not protocol driven. It's not, I do this way or that way, or I do the functional medicine integrative. You have to like, look at the patient, where they're coming from. You know, one of my patients right now, and this is blew, blows my mind. Okay. She came to see me with adrenal fatigue. And not Trump, so with um, Addison's, diagnosis of Addison's, okay, huh. on hormones, diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. She had a positive GAD antibody testing at the local university, crashed out, just terrible, right? I diagnosed her CIRS. I didn't think her type 1 diabetes was type 1. I thought it was type 2 with other things, started treating that. Diagnosed her sleep apnea, diagnosed her hypermobility, did all those things. And she, her A1C came down from 10 to 6, got her, off of, yeah, got her off for prednisone. Retest her GA and it's, it's normal, right? And she's positive for all the CRS labs. She is still living in her moldy house. Uh, she's not moved. And it's just like, it's blown my mind that she's doing so, and she's had tons of supports, people making food for her, treating her sleep apnea, like all these kind of things, addressing with nutrients or hypermobility. Um, but it just is just like crazy that she still is in her moldy house, has not left, and she's doing so, so well. You got to individualize it. For her, she can't yep. afford to move. She can't afford yep. to do it house. Um, she's in a community with her her um, local community of faith. They're basically providing food for her and taking care of her. Yeah. Got great supports. And it just reminded me how important those basic things are like support mm-hmm. and food and community. And she can still live in a moldy house. She's made strides. She's made strides. Yeah, still in a moldy environment. <laughs> yeah, so that's where, I, you know, that's where individualizing. Ultimately, we have these criteria and we have these labs, but you got to ultimately see the person in front of you and take care of them as a person. Yep, yep. I want to stick on topic of labs for a moment. You mentioned C4A has to be sent out to National Jewish. And I I would say the most, well, the second most frustrating part of treating CRS is getting labs to run the correct labs. If you're listening and you want some of these labs run, all of which I'll post in in the show notes, all of which are listed in my book in chapter eight, it is important that you find a provider who knows where these labs need to be sent out to. Do you want to speak to that just for a minute? Well, the labs are kind of, you know, we can talk about TGF beta, for example, which can be easily contaminated with platelets. So you have to double spin it. And most labs don't double spin it. Um, If you're drawing in your office to C3A and C4, you have to have a special freezer that gets till below negative 40 degrees. And you have to make sure it's shipped frozen on dry ice to where it's going. And the, and the way that the data is actually from, they do it differently at um, Jewish Nationals. Quest sends all their stuff to Jewish Nationals and, and LabCorp does theirs in-house. And that's where it's important, like how they're processing it. A lot of people yep. don't realize, I had a patient in Northern Virginia that I had tried to order the stuff at, at, at their local Quest. They didn't have dry ice there. And so that's, I've kind of taken all things in house and been like, you know, I'm drawing patients labs. I got the stuff in house to get them the right way. It's just so, so, so hard, whether it's platelet contamination or whether it's the, um, not being shipped on dry ice or whatever. It's, it's a frustrating thing. And that's where I think things like the VCS and Marcons and having other secondary markers. And, you know, after you see these patients for a bunch of them, you kind of can smell them almost. You kind of know this person, you know. Let's go back to the moldy home for a moment. So let's say someone has, a patient has come in to see you. They're meeting the criteria for the symptomatology. The labs are raging positive, let's say. They have the gene even. So what is the next step? Is Are you having someone test their home for mold to see, back to our conversation on if they have acute ongoing exposure? And if so, can you discuss the difference between like ERMI testing versus air testing, what the difference in quality is. Can you speak to that for me? Yeah, I can. So the, um, the how it gets kind of tricky. This We could talk about this for an hour by itself, or hours actually. You know, ERMI testing, um, it hurts me, which actually hurts me too, which is the actual yeah. symptom. It's actually really, it's super accurate. It's looking for DNA in a home. So the beauty of the ERMI, it hurts me too, is if it's normal, your house is fine, right? 
The problem is, is you could have had a water damage event three or four years ago, and you've got these fine DNA particles in your yeah. furniture and your carpet and stuff like that. And the, the event is gone, but you still have these small particles and the testing will be positive until you do a thorough cleaning. And that's a personal problem I've had. And one of the reasons I've become expert at this is I've tested my own home and my own place yeah. to work. I know my house and I know my builders and I've learned all these things. And it's really, I like the testing because it's, if it's negative, it's great. But the problem is, is then like, what's the source? You know, cause you can have like a wallemia comes back and you say made some duct work or if stachybacters comes back, you're like, Hey, there's some, you know, the, um, the AW, which is the water index for the, the, the molder, like higher for that. So maybe you got water sitting somewhere. If it's, you know, aspergillus, pestilorides or whatever, it's like a little drier stuff. So start looking, you know, for other crawl space issues. But the problem is that even when you do the testing, you still need someone, most people still need someone to tell them where it's at. Right. I want to get to that, but let's, for a moment, let me go back. So the the ERMI test, the Environmental Relative Mold Index test that we're referring to is looking at 16 different mold, or 36 different mold species through dust. This is the dust collection test. This is not an air test. This is a test you order, a cloth is shipped to your home, you go around, wipe various surfaces. And again, the like he said, the, the lab is analyzing the dust for organisms, the DNA of certain organisms. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So ERMI testing is different than air testing. And the standard I would say is air testing. And what I find is that the large majority of air quality testing comes back fine, that it misses a lot of contaminated homes. Would you agree with that? Well, for every spore in the air that they trap on a spore trap testing, there are 500 particulates so what that means is, is you can have a low spore count and still have lots of particulates. If the sure. spore count is high, then absolutely you have an issue. But the problem, like you said, is you you might open you just open the house. You just got a fresh breeze through your house and the spore count's low, right? But the other thing you have to remember is what did I say initially? 80% of CRS is not mold. It's the company mold keeps. It's actinomyces and endotoxins. And those tests do not take that into account. And that's what you have to all realize as well. Is you can have a, a beautiful brand new house and an amazing environment. You have an unencapsulated crawl space. And so what happens is 30 to 40% of the air in your house comes from your crawl space. And so now you have these endotoxins, actinomyces coming from the soil. And though you have no spores in your house per se, and you have no mold anywhere, you have the basically gassing from your soil. And that's where I think the air testing is hugely, hugely weak. Now it's just because ultimately 80% of the CRS patients and the 80% of the mold is actually the endotoxins, like tenomyces, not the actual, it's from the company mold keeps. And that's where these air trap, these testings are hugely, hugely weak. They don't take any of that into account. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. So let's go back to what the direction you were then heading. So obviously patients can do air testing. They can do ERMI testing. If either finds mold, you know, then the question is, Where's the mold or the, where are those toxins coming from? And that's also frustrating with my patients if they know they have had water damage in the master bathroom or in the kitchen or whatnot, right? The, obviously, look there. Let, let's look there. But if there isn't any visible or known water damage, then the patient's looking at me like, what do I do? You know, where do I, where do I look? So how do you respond to that? How do you help your patients determine where they? I think you, know, you alluded to this. This is the practice, right? practice of medicine. And if I'm doing the exact same thing a year from now that I'm doing now, I haven't learned anything, right? And so I used to order lots and lots of army tests on patients. And I've kind of gotten to the point that I just work on getting them to have someone get an indoor air quality specialist to look at their house. And the reason is, is ultimately price point. You spend sure. $500 on the testing, but you spend the specialist, you spend them seven, eight, nine dollars to come out. It's about the same price range. And so, you know, so I've kind of gone more to actually getting that 40 page report from an indoor air quality, so an IEP that actually looks at the air hand, looks at the air handlers. A lot of people don't realize as well. You might have like now, nah, well, it might be your air handler is seeding your house from condensation in the coral. One of my patients actually, um, when their house was made, well, anyway, so they, they had humidity issues in the house. As you went up in the house, humidity went up, not down. So say your relative humidity is fifty percent in your first level in the summertime. It should be forty percent. It should go up, go down as you go up. Theirs went up, and so he was like, "This is kind of weird." He actually drilled a little hole under their staircase. They did not have the tie back wrap on their house. The wrap on their house was not put on. And how do you figure that out? Because he knew his stuff. And that was something that no test would have picked up. As we enter flu season, I'm super excited to share that we are finally launching a comprehensive immune support product. It's called Immune Support, and it's a targeted blend of nutrients designed to provide a broad spectrum support to the body's immune reserves to keep you healthy and functioning at your best, despite the increased risk of seasonal illness during this time. The formulation includes quercetin, a powerful bioflavonoid that aids in supporting the immune system. Next, it includes vitamin C and N-acetylcysteine as potent antioxidants 
to promote respiratory function and support the function of quercetin. And lastly, it has vitamin D3 and zinc, which are important micronutrients needed to create a robust immune reserve. This blend includes all of the above, 600 milligrams of vitamin C, 2,500 IUs of D3, 25 milligrams of achelated zinc, 600 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine, and 250 milligrams of quercetin are in two capsules. And this product was formulated with those dosages in mind to be safe for those that are pregnant or lactating. If you want more, however, you can easily double the dose of the product, and it can also be combined with your daily complete multivitamin or my favorite product, mitochondrial complex. Research has shown that those taking this blend of nutrients fare much better with illnesses like viruses, making this the perfect time of year to stock up on immune support. In addition to being a fantastic option for anybody looking to boost immune reserves and support a healthy immune response, a bottle of immune support would fit perfect in your loved one's holiday stocking. Use code immune support for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, back to the show. How does someone go about finding one of these these specialists? I would just say you have to know your local environment. Like I've just tried and found a couple in the local area I use. It's almost like whoever the practitioner you're working with, um, you kind of have to like say, who, who do you use? You know, um, yep. there are some like websites that have national people, but ultimately like anything, there's, there's an 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of people and specialists, you know, you know, plumbers, any specialty, there's about 20% of the people in that specialty that are really good at what they do. Um, and even less that are the A players. And so there's a lot of mold inspectors that cut corners they get in the eye for free inspection right you know free this free that it's probably there's a reason why it's free you know so that's where it's best to like who do other people use and so i originally had someone driving down from dc so i'm in the central virginia richmond area and i eventually found a local person that would actually do the testing for my patients that's great that's what i need hopefully listeners are able to identify right where the water damage is because the home needs to be appropriately remediated. It absolutely needs to be appropriately remediated. But aside from that, how do we treat these patients? So what, what are kind of your step two, three, and fours? Like what, <laughs> what are you doing for these patients? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you make the diagnosis, then you start just treating them, you know, and the, the best binder, I know it's, you know, it's one of the controversial things, but the best binder to get these, the mold toxins out of your system and then mold toxins are tricky because they have like a polar head and a non-polar tail, which means they can flow in and out between fat-soluble and water-soluble compartments. And so it's really hard to get them out of your system. The best binder to get these out are, are bile binders, bile acid sequestering binders. So I start patients on cholestyramine or Wellcol, yep. but they tolerate it. Um, you got, I try to help their body. That's one of the issues with the, their, their immune system, with the whole gene thing, is they don't do a good job detoxifying these things their body was designed or made to take and put in bile and to rid their body of. So I start with binders. Um, it's really interesting. Some patients, if they're really, really sick, they will actually have an acceleration response, which is a kind of cytokine response, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. They'll actually get a lot sicker on your, your cholestyramine. That tells me they're pretty sick. And sometimes your, your Lyme patients as well will have that acceleration response as well. So that's where, you know, when you're using different binders, the binders I use will help me figure out other nuances of their, of their care. Sure, sure. I start the binder. If, they've got, if, they got, if they got Marcons, I start treating the Marcons. You know, yep. that's a, a nasal spray, you know, yep. initially we were doing BG spray, then we went to BG, then we went away from that to EDTA and coil silver. Now I think most people are transitioning to straight EDTA, which is a biofilm buster, um, nasal spray, work on the basics diet. You know, I also do, you know, I'm not just a mold person. I'm also, I do a lot of other things. I'm doing nutritional analysis on them. Absolutely. Nutrient yep. deficiencies they have. Some of these people are vitamin D deficient. So, so many have low D levels because of their chronic inflammation and you got to get that up. You know, vitamin D helps translate that innate immune system response to an acquired or adaptive immune system response. And so what that means is if their D is low, their body's going to have a hard time making antibodies, which is one of the issues with COVID and long COVID. If your D is low, you have a hard time making antibodies. And so I do a nutritional analysis, looking at these things. Almost a quarter of patients with CRS have a, an illness or sickness syndrome. It's a, it's a trauma from their illness. It's amazing how many of my patients who have this trauma either from the illness of the past that sets yeah. them up for this neuroinflammatory syndrome. So I don't necessarily talk about that on the first visit, but I also make I make notes on it. Right. Because a good percentage of my population, six months, eight months later, we'll get some progress where we get stuck. And it's like, okay, let's look back at some of this trauma either from your illness sure. or from your past. You know, yep. the mind-body connection is really, really huge in these patients. But basically binders, nasal stuff. And now we just walk the stepwise process of the um the triangle, so to speak, of treating these patients. There's also other things like muscle activation syndrome, hypermobility, patients that are hypermobile. Um, there's actually a gene, one of the HLA DRDQ genes actually is associated with hypermobility. It's associated with HPA damage disease, you know, 
um, or, or vaccinosis. And so I'll look for hypermobility in my patients because if they are hypermobile, I know they need more collagen. Um, I know they need more vitamin C and trace minerals. Yep. So there's a lot of other nuances as I'm looking at these patients that I'll kind of ferret out. But the basic, the first thing is your binders, your string, your Markov. And if they've constipated, guy get pooping. You know, Absolutely. a lot of these patients have, and like if you're talking about detoxification of these things and you put it in the bile and it gets reabsorbed because you're not pooping, then you got to poop, right? And so um, that's where fibers and other things to help them poop. And the, that's where the downsides of cholestyramine is it can be constipating. And so sometimes you're just balancing how patients respond to everything. That's where this all becomes individualized care. Sure. And how long, I feel like this isn't even a good question, but I'm still going to ask it. How long does it take for some of these sick patients to start feeling better? It really depends. You know, I've had some patients that treating their Marcons has made them like night and day. I've had some patients that, you know, one of the things I do is well based on some of um, Dr. Patricia Kane's research. She's the big lipid person. Mm-hmm. Is lipid there? Yes, yes. Octocholine, ox bile, your tudka helps burn off on these lipid wraps that are part of this whole inflammatory syndrome actually burns or chars your, your cell yeah. membranes using lipids. I've had yeah. some patients who couldn't tolerate cholestyramine, who couldn't tolerate the nasal spray that I focused on lipid therapy, which helped the liver detoxify and also helped change out the phosphatidylcholine. And the interesting thing is a lot of these people get the sympathetic overdrive, right? This fight or flight response, which I'm sure you've seen those patients. And yep. improving phosphatidylcholine actually helps balance that parasympathetic, sympathetic balance a little bit just by giving them PC. And so I just kind of walk people through this. And then- but when you're saying lipid therapy, just for the listeners, he's talking about phospholipids, right? So think phosphatidylcholine. Is that something you're giving orally? Are you giving it IV? How are you dosing that? I started early. Um, I don't, IV is really expensive. And so I usually reserve that for patients who like, you know, sure. can't do anything else. Um, I'm really doing it orally. I'm doing balanced omega-3s and omega-6s. You basically, you basically, they need a world change. You need, you need to replace their, their lipids and it's a process. Sure. I'm also using um, a lot of butyrate. It's interesting how much butyrate helps. Your, your gut makes butyrate. This is gut-brain connection and your gut makes butyrate, which helps, you know, clean off your cell wall membranes. And so a lot of people, because of their gut issues, just aren't making butyrate. And then the tutka and ox bile are basically things your body makes and puts in bile that actually help scrub off your cell membranes. And so I'll use that as part of the lipid therapy. Sometimes sure. I'll add Magicare. Sometimes I'll add other anti-inflammatory things. LDN was, yeah, we started talking about that before we were recording. Please mention, yeah, LDN. LDN is another, another kind of thing that I am starting people on earlier and earlier and earlier now. It's an immune modulator. It helps balance that TH1, TH2. Um, it helps yeah. boost um, natural killer cells. Most of these patients have low natural killer cells. You know, SIBO, how many patients do you see have SIBO? Mm-hmm. You know, motility issues, you know, um, LDN helps with that. And it's also interesting, you mentioned the chronic fatigue and fiber, I guess, before we started recording, but I will use a lot of LDN with those patients because that, that effect of lowering that neuroinflammatory process, the brain on fire process, um, LDN just helps with so many things. It's a super, super, super safe um, prescription medication. Um, the biggest issue I've had with LDN is just people, it helps sometimes affects their sleep and sometimes people get mm-hmm. anxious about it. But if people take it either earlier in the day, or even microdosing, I'm not sure if you're doing microdosing with the mm-hmm. LDN now, but yeah. I'm doing microdosing where you're doing like 0.1, 0.5, even topical because they can't tolerate the oral. So oh, yeah. again, it's, all, it's this is all the art. This is all the art of this, these kind of complex patients. Lots of lots of nuances, as you mentioned. Another one I want to get to is EMF. So how do EMFs affect SIRS? Okay, so the way I think about EMFs, I mean, we're all exposed to EMFs all the time. You know, your car, your cell phone, they're, they're everywhere. When, you, when your brain's on fire, have you ever pinched a nerve in your neck or had yeah. a slip disc in your back? Like that? And like all of a sudden, like I remember when I did this in my neck, I could feel the pebbles on the road through the steering wheel. I could literally feel the vibrations of the road. It was like Oh my gosh, this is so, no wonder people are so miserable, right? This is so crazy. My whole, my whole brain, my skin is buzzing, a little twinge in my neck. And, and the way I kind of compare that is like when, you, when your brain's on fire, you're now reacting with the electromagnetic fields. You know, so not every mold patient is that sick. Not every CRS patient is that sick, but there is a subgroup that are so bad off that fluorescent lights bother them, cell phones bother them, computers bother them. And so that grouping is really difficult because of that degree of um, neural inflammation. That's also a group that a lot of the trauma therapy, whether it's DNRS, um, can be helpful. Body therapy, craniosacral work can be helpful. Because yeah. those, that's where I kind of use all my integrative tools with those patients because they're so on fire. Like, I can't give you cholestyramine. I can't give you LDN. You're so on fire. I can't get you my office half the time, right? It's like, how can we work on that? That just your brain is so on fire that you're literally reacting to EMF in your environment. So that's, those patients are super tricky. It's a small, it's a small subset of my population, but yeah, it is a, when people have those issues, it is difficult. And to date, they've all either had Lyme mold, something like that going on that we've had to address to yeah. help with uh, 
that sensitivity. Yep, yep. Last few questions here. I do want to talk a little bit about long COVID or post-COVID syndrome because that is also something you specialize in. And so before we started recording today, we talked a little bit about, I was just asking your professional opinion on if you felt like COVID or patients who had long COVID in these situations, if some other underlying issues were kind of being revealed with these cases. And and you said absolutely yes. So do you want to talk a little bit about how functional medicine practitioners are kind of set up to be able to better help these patients and then what you have found in these long COVID cases? Absolutely. That's a great point. Like when this all started last year, it was just interesting to see like how an infection created a cytokine response and then this post-infectious inflammatory syndrome. It sounds a lot like chronic Lyme or post-mono chronic fatigue and fibro or CMV. It sounds like a lot of things in the functional world we've been dealing with for decades, right? Right. And so as the research started coming out and showing D and C and a lot of these things, you know, um, air quality, there was interesting data that came out last summer showing the amount of microparticulates in the air, air quality affects your risk of severe COVID. Wait a second, air quality? Didn't we just talk about air quality with <laughs> mold, right? And so all of a sudden, as a functional medicine doctor, I was already connecting these dots, you know, last April, May. And so as I started seeing these patients, I started saying, well, okay, how many of you have mold exposure? How many of you are hypermobile? You know, it's really interesting. I was um, talking with this one um, lady online in some chat room, and um, I was talking about long COVID, and I described SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And she was a long COVID patient. And she was like, oh my gosh, I've had this for 20 years. No one's ever told this to me before. And she was working with, you know, a, a, nat- a natural kind of health practitioner and she'd had this for 20 years. And so, so what I'm seeing with the long COVID patients is their people had something going on. You know, the, the primary nutritional deficiency is vitamin D, which I think everybody knows at this stage, zinc, a whole bunch of trace minerals deficiencies, but there's also all the mold stuff. You know, I've had a significant number of um, long COVID patients who are living in a moldy house that are hypermobile. And actually the COVID's, caused their CIRS. It wasn't a tick bite. It wasn't sure. concussion or mold. It was actually, the setup was these things, but the trigger was the COVID. And um, something I, I, we haven't mentioned yet, sleep apnea. I'm seeing a lot of long COVID, slender females, athletic, looked healthy, looked great, yada, 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 long slender faces. I look in their mouth. I see a, a narrow dental arch, high arch palate. I see some grinding in their teeth, maybe some tori in their mouth. I'm like, Oh, interesting. These are the facial stigmata of sleep apnea, but you're a, right. you were healthy. They, all those patients have tested also for sleep apnea. All the mission now to find one of those, to find someone with long COVID who's a slender female, not have sleep apnea. I've failed to date. And that's something else that I, this whole thing opened my eyes up to is how common and how underdiagnosed sleep apnea is. I used to only do sleep apnea testing on my post-stroke or AFib patients or, you know, but now all my long COVID patients, I'm getting them sleep apnea testing and, yeah. and together about 89% positive. So yeah. when someone says they were healthy and got long COVID, my question is, show me, because I've not seen one of those patients yet. They've all had something und- undiagnosed, unseen. And when you're in a healthcare model that deals with only acute issues, not chronic issues, you're healthy, but you come in the functional medicine world where we look at root cause, we look at maximizing health, all of a sudden, a little bit of sleep apnea, a little bit of vitamin D deficiency, a little bit of mold. Yep, you know, a little SIBO, a little, little of, yeah, yeah. You add up and these, these people can get COVID and they develop long COVID. Very interesting. You've given us so much to think about today. <laughs> um, I always conclude every episode with asking my guests their top longevity tip. So if you had to pick one, what would your top longevity tip be? Oh man, this, this has actually changed in the last couple of weeks. My top longevity tip is interesting. When you talk about peptides, I'm not sure if you do peptide therapy yes, or you talk yes. about all these fancy I w- new- I would have loved to talk to you about them today, but I know our time was limited. <laughs> you know, a lot of these cool things, you look at curcumin or fish oil or all these things are trying to replicate what exercise and fasting do. And it's really interesting. We start diving into how exercise creates muscle-induced anti-inflammatory, muscle-induced growth factors how fasting actually helps your liver detoxify better, how fasting actually changes your microbiome and can help treat your SIBO. It's amazing how a lot of these things are trying to reproduce what exercise and and interval and fasting do automatically. And so, you know, if you asked me this question uh, a month ago, I would have said lipids and talk about lipids and lipid membranes and how amazing lipids are. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm kind of coming full, full circle back to like the basics again, like, you know, fasting and exercise, a lot of these things we do to try to biohack people and do things. We're just trying to replicate what these things that people have done for thousands of years have been doing. So I could talk about lipids and how I love lipids and I do lipid therapy and how amazing they are. But I, you know, I would have said that a month ago. Now I'm just saying, you know what? Interval fasting and exercise are absolutely amazing as far as what they do for yep. longevity, 
cancer reduction for you know, my diabetics. I'm trying to get most of my diabetics now to interval fast. I've had them drop their A1C. Like the one thing I was telling you about, interval fasting was a part of the way we got our A1C from 10 to six, you know, in a period of two to three months. Sure, you sure. know, which is incredible. Got her, and she's, and that just, it's just amazing how that affects ghrelin levels. It affects leptin levels, which is the hormonal aspect of hormones and obesity, how it affects your growth factors, how it affects um, MSH, you know, how it affects your gut. You know, people feed their GI tract all day and all night long. You, you need to rest your GI tract. If you look at the anatomy, your liver, like the, there's two things. There's the, the hepatic, there's an artery from your GI tract that goes into your liver. There's the hepatic artery. And your liver is supposed to filter your blood and then your GI tract, right? Well, if your liver is being fed all day long and only rest eight hours at night, it can't focus on filtering your blood, which is what it's supposed to do when you go to bed fasting at night, you know, about eight to 10, eight to 12 hours in. That is a simple thing to do that can actually massively impact your liver's ability to do its job while you're sleeping. So that would be my- Fasting and exercise, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy simple and so basic and anybody can do it. And I can give you tons of cool supplements and do your peptides and do your CJC and ipamorelin and all that kind of BPC, 157, all that kind of cool stuff. I'm just trying to do what exercise and fasting do. Yeah, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Well, tell us where listeners can find you, where your practice is, and then what your free gift is as well. If you want more information, on my website's richmondfunctionalmedicine.com. We've got a whole educational platform there. We have actually have a community we've created um, where people can come in and be a part of my team. We have like courses we offer within the community. Um, we have health coaching within the community as well. And then also the free gift is just basically my um, roadmap to resilience. It's actually something I put together during COVID when I realized resilience was like the big deal, which resilience is ultimately the foundations of functional medicine, right? Yeah, so I kind yeah. of a, a little ebook for patients to kind of, for, for people to like walk through the foundational thing is because the foundations are still a foundation. We can do all these cool things like we talked about, but if you're not doing the basic stuff, all the fancy stuff doesn't quite work as well. So I got that, that ebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on the show today and sharing all about a topic I wanted my audience to hear more about, SIRS. And I hope the audience connects with you and checks out your free gift. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been great. I really enjoyed it. That interview was exactly what I was hoping it would be. Dr. Hartman shared many nuances of chronic inflammatory response syndrome. This is a very complex topic and one we could have talked for another hour about. So if this is something you think you could have, please find a provider like Dr. Hartman or myself who can help run the correct labs on you and get you the help you need. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.